Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode. It is Andy here, hope you're doing well. Now we've got another great episode today with a special guest. And before we get into this, me and Pierce have been coaching for a long time and what we hear all the time is we'll get somebody comes for a lesson with us, maybe first time and we'll say, okay, how can we help you? And they'll say, well, my driving's really letting me down. It's costing me so many shots. All my irons are letting me down. It's costing me so many shots. And then we'll get them on the golf course because we like to get our students on the golf course playing around the course. And we'll often see that what they think is letting them down isn't the problem. It might be a short game problem. It might be a putting problem. It might be a bunker problem. It might be 100 yards and in. So often we see that what a golfer thinks is really letting them down isn't the case. And therefore, a lot of people spend time working at things that aren't really going to have that much of an impact on their, on their overall score. And if you really want to get better, it's crucial that you understand which area of the game is going to have the biggest impact and what areas are really letting you down when it comes to this. Now, now today's episode, we interview CEO and co-founder of Arcos Golf, Sal Syed. Now, we've recently partnered with Arcos Golf because of the very fact that when golfers come to us, they have no clue what's really letting them down. And what we want to do for our members is we want to provide them with the best data so they can look at their overall game and go, right, where are the areas that I really need to work on? What's my putting like? What's my short game like? If I put time into this area, I'm going to directly see the impact on the scores. Now, if you don't know what Arcos Golf is, Arcos Golf have an app that actually syncs with sensors that you place in the club. And these sensors automatically track each shot that you hit and then sync up to your app. They have over 40,000 golf courses within the app that you can actually record your games and they provide strokes gained analytics for every single part of your game. Now, me and Pierce often say that if we were to caddy for a golfer, we would save them at least five shots. And this isn't by changing technique, this is by just making decisions on where to aim, what club selection is, is good and using the wind and the elevation and certain different things, just helping them understand and manage their way around the golf course better. Now, unfortunately, me and Pierce aren't available for everybody, but it's important that you understand how can you think differently in order to get the best out of your game, and Arcos is certainly a great solution for that. Now, in today's episode with Sal, we discuss how you can use data to really make some improvements to your game. He shares quick wins that you can immediately do to improve your par threes, fours, and fives, strategy from 100 yards and in, the importance of playing your average and not just your best, and then the importance of setting real expectations to improve your golf and your emotions on the golf course. This is a great one, so important to actually take some notes on this. And if you're serious about improving your scores, then knowing your game, understanding the areas is just an absolute crucial part of it. So sit back, enjoy this one, and please welcome Sal Syed to the podcast. Sal Syed, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And look, it's, it's great to, to get you on because what you've created is an amazing product. And one of, I suppose, mine and Pierce's mission and me and my golf is, is to help people play better golf. And the guests that we have on, um, we have a mixture of guests on. But one of the things that we see a huge opportunity is in the strategy, the decision making, and a lot of golfers are just not really even paying attention to this really. And this is obviously where your product comes into that. Just to give the listeners some context, I want, I want them to understand really what you've created and, and some of the data that you've got. How many, how many rounds and golf shots have you recorded at Arcos from the, from the, the amateur golfer, or just from the golfer in general? Well, I think it's over 600 million shots now. 
like 10 wow. million rounds. It's a lot of data and it's growing so fast. We're like we used to have um, like pre-COVID, we had these cool screens in the office where anytime somebody took a shot in the world, like we had a map of the world, it'd be real time pinging. Like, and then it was kind of cool to see boom, 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 like stuff going. There'd be like 30, 40 seconds of sh- uh, like shots a second being taken. Uh, but it's a lot of shots. And, and the, the, but the reason we're recording all these shots really is what you said, um, to help give people an understanding of how to get better at golf, how to get uh, more out of the game. Uh, because I mean, we're investing all this time and effort, but it's emotional, emotionally, physically, mentally, all that stuff. Like we're spending this time and effort into the game, but a lot of times, like it feels like a black box. Like we don't really know how to get better. And like our mission at Arc goes to hopefully unlock that puzzle for everybody uh, who's stuck. Yeah, and it's a it's a key area, isn't it? It's a it's a key area that I think that most people aren't really even paying attention to. It's interesting, actually. I was telling Pierce yesterday. I played golf a couple of weeks ago with a guy. He was maybe late 20s handicap. And uh-huh. he had a, 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 a he, every shot for the first 12 holes, he, every single shot to the right, every single shot. And I think it, I, I left him for a bit. And before I said anything, because I, I don't want to get too involved too early in somebody's game. And I just said, well, have you thought about aiming in the left side of the rough? <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> and he hadn't really thought about it, but he was continuing on to to almost try and play perfect golf, you know, instead of really understanding what his game was about and going, well, this is my game. I'm going to start to allow for things. But it never even crossed his mind to go, well, my ball's going right. Let's aim a little to the left. <laughs> but I think a lot yeah. of golfers are yeah. in this pattern, aren't they, in terms of I need to aim straight. I need to aim for the flag. I need to play perfect golf to aim away from the flag, to, to play for a safe yeah. zone. It's not really in their mindset and mentality, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. Like, I think, like, the expectations of golfers from their own skill sets generally, I find, are, like, higher than they should be, which actually leads to maybe poorer decision-making, but also maybe more frustration as well. Um, and, in fact, I mean, I thought about that for a while because, like, there, there was a Wall Street Journal article that was done based on Arco's data, and they named it the golfer's delusion. And we talked to a few professors about this. Like, you could see, like, the club selection that people are making mm-hmm. was really biased toward the best shots. Like, okay, your um, best eight iron might have gone 150 yards, but your average eight iron might go 138. And so people are making decisions based on that best shot. And I, I asked one of my professors, uh, who's like a behavioral ec- ec- uh, economics like expert. Um, and he was like, you know, this, uh, he said that essentially this is the same behavior. Like there's a lot of research done, done. There's cognitive bias. People overestimate their ability. Similar to like, those are, I think there's, there might've been a Yale study that was done. Uh, I don't know which school did it, uh, but they um, interviewed people at the driver's license institute. They're like, Hey, are you over, are you, um, better above average driver or are you below average? 95% of people would say they're above average drivers. You know, like mathematically, that's not possible. So people always, like, I think like he equated to similarly uh, for golf, like people think they're actually better than they are. So then, that, but the, the, in golf, that's bad because then you end up making decisions that are not optimal. So you end up scoring worse than you should because you're thinking you're better than you actually are. And so that reality check, like Arcos almost like, provides that reality check like hey this is what your skill level is this is how far your clubs actually go 
these are your missed tendencies. Um, and this is how, I mean, without even changing your swing, you can improve your score uh, with some better decision making. It's really interesting as well when you say that. If we think about the top players, the players who are making millions at this game, they'll be almost the other way around. You know, they'll understand what they can do. They understand that, okay, if I need to aim over there and it's away from the target, then yeah, I'll do that. And if they've got a lot more, um, they've got a a greater fix on the reality of their own game, I suppose. Yeah, so true. Like they're, I mean, they will talk about it. We're talking about it. It's like they talk about it as a game of misses, how to minimize the misses. So like the, how to not lose as many strokes as you would on a bad shot. Like in, in the average golfer's case, we're trying to maximize the best shot, but as a result, the penalty becomes sometimes a lot more than it should be. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And obviously with the the the, the users that you have, what, what sort of range of golfers are we talking about here? Who, who And maybe what's the predominant range of the golfers? Yeah, I mean, I mean it is interesting. It's like, it mimics um, the golfing demographic. Your average handicap or use average handicap for a user is 14. Um, and so, but we have players who played in the U.S. So like I saw it in the U.S. Women's Open. I've seen it on like professional tours. We've seen it in the USM. Uh, so we've seen it from the highest top elite level uh, to beginners. People who are shooting 160 now are at 120 because the lessons they took were directed by, or the content they're consuming is directed by where they're actually losing strokes. Um, so it is cool the way we've designed it. And the reason it works, I mean, maybe I'll just give like a 30 second for you users that who don't know what Arcos is. Um, we are a platform, a hardware and software platform. So it's tiny sensors that uh, screw into the grip end of each club. Um, they really have no impact on your sw- uh, swing weight and dynamic swing weight or any of that. You don't have to change your club. Uh, you just install. It's an aftermarket install. You can buy it on our website, argosgolf.com, or uh, we'll talk about the promo that we're doing with you guys. Um, but once you set it up, then um, these sensors are essentially paired with your smartphone um, or your Apple Watch, or we have other devices too. Um, and every time you make impact with the golf ball, they detect that automatically and drop a pin where that happens. And we figure out where your shot ended up because that's where you take your next shot from. So we actually follow the golfer. The golfer is taking the shots. And then by virtue of collecting the location of every shot you've taken, we run analytics on it to help you understand, like if you're, let's say you shot a 90 one day and a 95 the other day or 100 the other day. Now that 10 stroke difference, where what was the difference between that round? Or if you want to improve by five shots, what exactly should you be working on? Should you be working on your driving distance? Like most people think, or should you be working on putting all the time or what range of putting? What are your weaknesses? Maybe it's approach shots from the rough. Maybe it's approach shots from 75 to 100 yards. Golfers don't know that. We unlock that puzzle automatically. And so maybe like with that background, like what was your question again, Piers? Yeah, it was just actually just understanding what the what the what the range is really. Of the, of yeah, the so, so so the beauty is so what we've done is this answer of where are golfers losing strokes is universal, even though um, the skill level might be different. So what we've done is we've created a neural net baseline for each skill level. Let's say you're a 20 handicap, you can set within Arcos like, hey, I want to be a 15 handicap, and so now Arcos works within that range. If you're like a, a elite golfer let's say you're a plus two and you want to get on the PGA tour, you can set your benchmark. Okay. I want to be 
a PGA Tour golfer. So Arcos will compare you to that. The framework stays the same. It's just the baseline changes. And then our insights are um, different based on like really each golfer, what their skill levels are, where are they actually losing strokes? And the unique thing, well, not unique, like I said, the interesting thing is every golfer is unique. Like literally it is, there is no like one thing like, hey, everybody should just work on this part of their game. It's so different. Like you'll see golfers who might be like, I mean, we see it, like who might be, let's say a 20 handicap, but they're driving like a five handicap golfer, but they're putting like a 40 handicap or vice versa. Um, and so the answer to the improvement is very personal for everybody. And I'm sure you guys know this as well as anybody else, but a lot of golfers don't realize, you know, like it's almost like everybody's got their um, golf DNA. And this is essentially helping you unlock, okay, what's, where am I today, where I want to be? Yeah, totally, totally. And I mean, I know um, this is hard because obviously of what you just said there, but if there were any patterns of where a golfer is going wrong, where you can see where there's the biggest improvements they can make through strokes gains, where would you say, where would you say those are if there was one area? So, so, so the only thing I'll say is what we discussed earlier, where, where there is this bi cognitive bias of overestimating your ability. You remember your best shots and then you make your decisions based on your best shots. So I do think yeah, like by and large, golfers can improve their scoring by um, clubbing up. Like uh, it's when you're hitting a five, like let's say you're going to hit an eight iron, maybe hit a seven iron. Um, that said, that um, there's also the aspect of like, you know, mentally, if you're not convinced that you got to do this, like it might, you might not be able to execute well. So a lot of times what we see is when, when people see their data, like, okay, you know, actually, because it's impossible to remember, like, like say, last 10, seven irons you hit, because it's over, I don't know, 10 rounds, potentially, that might be over two months. So, like, really, human beings aren't designed to remember that. But in the app, when you see, like, okay, here are my last 10 shots of that seven iron, the average is 152 yards, then when you step up to the ball, you're going to be more committed and more convinced that this is the right answer, and you're making the right decision. I think, like, when I tell people, in the absence of data, when I tell them like, you know, you should do this, it's just hard for people to kind of get to that point till they see that data. Once once you see the data, then it's hard to deny it. Yeah, um, and you know what, it's interesting. Then, yeah, go ahead. But no, yeah, I'll just say it's interesting because we always talk about this and golfers just from a, from a distance element, they are taking their best and they, it sometimes hurts them when they think, well, I, I only hit my seven iron, 138 in terms of carry. It might hurt their ego a little bit. Uh, they might not yeah. like to see it, but the great thing about the RCAS is that it gives you that average, doesn't it? And one thing that yeah. we always say is that it's very rare if we go out with some of our students on the golf course or just playing with amateur golfers in general, that they're very, they're very rarely past the hole with an iron shot. And a lot of the danger on an approach shot is always short of the green, whether it's bunkers, whether it's water, whatever it may be. But how many golfers actually play and go, I'm going to hit it five yards past the hole? You know, you don't hear people yeah. talking about, I want to get it past the hole. It's like, well, it's 151. I, I think I could squeeze an A-time that far, or I could I think I'd squeeze... You're always thinking about jumping far. on a club, too. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um, I think that's, the, that's a good thing about this. Taking your average, certainly from a yardage perspective, is is, is crucial. Uh, just a question on, on, on strategy, really. So what do you think is, based on some of the information... What do you think is a 
like for the listeners to this, would be a quick win for, for, for the majority of golfers? What would be a quick win in strategy that they could well, implement? Maybe, maybe before like we get one. to strategy, I'll just answer the previous one other pattern that I've found mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, is that people waste their time warming up. Like, so let's say you have 20 minutes before the round, 30 minutes. Most people don't have time to um, like take a bunch of lessons or practice a bunch, right? So they might take a couple of lessons. Um, they might uh, warm up for 15, 20 minutes um, and go play. And then the warm up is maybe the same. Like, they hit a bunch of drives and hit a bunch of putts, um, which I, I think is like when you think about it, it's like not the most efficient use of your time if that's not your problem. Actually, that's something Dustin Johnson, um, like his coach, Claude Harmon, shared with me was like, you know, DJ loved hitting drivers. Uh, he was really good at driving, but he just, that was just, like, that's what he'd go to the range and do. But then when they started looking at strokes gain data, turns out he was actually, uh, like, where he's losing strokes was from basically about 100 yards. And then they changed his practice regimen. Like, I know you love hitting drivers, but this is what we got to hit. And so he starts hitting that, uh, practicing, like, uh, those hundred yard wedges and he wins the U S open wins the masters. Um, and I think that lesson is applicable to everybody. Like there isn't, I mean, you're what you're warming up on should be what your weakest at, because like when you think about the golf improvement scale, like it's actually nonlinear. So going from say a 20 handicap to a 15 handicap is re- it's easier than going from a five handicap to a zero handicap. So whatever like your skill level is the worst at is the thing you can improve the fastest. So so let's assume that somebody like is, I mean, and there's a bunch of golfers like that where they're just hitting drivers and maybe their issue is uh, approach game from 150, 200 yards is really, really bad. And so uh, if they, and they maybe hit say five shots around from there and maybe they're losing five shots around from that distance. And so if they hit like 15 practice shots or 20 practice shots in a warm up, that's four rounds worth of practice they just got. Um, and that, that, I think there, there's that pattern, which is people not optimizing that 15, 20 minutes before the round, which will really help them get better. Yeah. So, so, okay, I'll stop there. Oh, no, no, it's really good. I think, and I think the one thing with that as well is that a lot of golfers will look at their warm up as really a big part of their game and whether they're going to play well. So if they warm up well, they'll play well. So if they basically go there and as you say, let's say they're not very good from that 125 to 150 and they hit a load of seven and eight times and they don't hit them very well, they're going to go, I can't play well today. So they'll try and avoid what's going to make them feel bad and what they don't do so well. So something where maybe I'm a bit better at this, I'll just do this and just maybe massage the ego a little bit. And I think it's, but you're you're absolutely right. And I think when people think about it, well, if I can just have 15 or 20 balls working at one area, that's actually a lot of, game time practice i really like that we put that together that was good but also i think that a lot of golfers don't necessarily understand they won't break it down into the yardages either sal i think it's like oh i'm just poor with my irons but what part of your irons is it between 100 and 150 or is it between you know 150 and 200 and actually how important is that round your local golf club you might have one shot from 150 to 200 but you might have eight, eight shots from 150 to um 200 exactly. or whatever or sorry 100, 100 150 it's that's understanding that is is so important isn't it to to then go what do i need to spend the time on the range no doubt about it and that's exactly why like that's where like the beauty of strokes gained is it like 
it takes into account like if you're hitting one shot, let's say that's really poor from a certain distance every two rounds, you're not going to lose that many, many strokes on that. Like, so strokes gain actually quantifies how many strokes are you actually losing? Cause in the end, like golfers, like our measure of success or improvement ends up being our score. That's kind of what tells us like, are we getting better or not? That's what the handicap is based on. That's what everything's based on. That's what tournaments are won or lost on. And where are those strokes going? What's the difference? Like that's what, that's the beauty of strokes game where it tells you that. Yeah. Just getting that understanding about your own game is, is, is massive really. Yeah, for sure. Uh, right. Okay. Yes, actually. So um, we know that you're actually pretty handy golfer yourself and you've obviously had, um, let, let's just talk about holding ones. We like talking about holding ones at me and Mike. We don't like talking too much. We about love talking them. about holding ones because um, <laughs> this is the point where I ask you how many you've had, how many, how many holding ones have you had? So I've had five, five. four since uh, four in the last six years with Arcos. Okay. So I, so I've, I've, I've had three, so you've had more than me. I, I'm not, how many have you had under? Um, I've had in the last, um, none actually, <laughs> no, no, no. Bit, bit, a bit of fun there, but it was really interesting to understand that obviously out of your five hole in ones, you attribute four of them to Arcos and the AI and sorry, the, the, the caddy. What? Yeah. Just talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, actually it's funny. Like when I had my third hole in one, I was like, hmm, this is weird. Like, why am I getting so many holes in one? And then other people are company were getting holes in one last week. We had a marketing uh, team outing um, in the Boston area. And one of our guys got, got a hole in one. So it's like, uh, basically everybody, like, I, I feel like maybe 25 out of like the 70 people that are here have had a hole in one. Um, and so like while here, like it's, it was pretty, it was too high. Like it was just, it felt like, hmm, like something else is going on here. And so we started looking at our data and found that our close users, because then we would see holes in one that would reach out to the user, verify it. And we're seeing like a six X, I think it was like five and a half times or six times more likely versus the average golfer, Arcos user was to have all in one. And I think it ended up being like as simple as what we talked about, like that cognitive bias. Like now you're basing your tee shots. Par three is like a perfect situation. You have like a perfect lie. Um, you can judge uh, the, I mean, it's not a coming out of the rough. It's like, it's your average shot. You can place it. And then on top of that, uh, Arcos actually takes into account weather elevation stuff. So when you factor that information in, now, you know, like, okay, it's 150 yards playing like with wind and whatnot, 142. And my nine iron goes 143. Um, I could move a yard back. Uh, well, actually, let's say your nine, yeah, nine iron goes, let's say, uh, 143. Now you move a yard back. Now you have a 143-yard shot, and you're optimizing those chances. So I actually do that every single time when I play a par three. If it's within, like, a couple of yards, which which is how, actually, I got one of my holes in when I was playing with one of her um, employees, Tom Williams. I think you know him. Um, and I'm, 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 I feel like a little, I don't know, I, Probably jinx myself talking about my holes in one, <laughs> but I don't talk about them too often, but you made me, but <laughs> I was playing with him and we were playing um, and the caddy said that um, it's 140, I think it was 141 to the print, which was number in my nine iron goes 100 and 
43. So I moved two yards back, hit the nine iron, and it went, it literally landed and went in the hole. And then Tom was like, what? <laughs> like, Cause I teed up and then I reteed, but I do that because I want to increase the chances of my own one. But when you know your averages, you know, like, okay, at least um, from a distance perspective on average, I'm going to be 50% time, like little past the hole. Um, and if I get the right line, right, every once in a while, which is like, so like to get it that right, it's certainly a lot of luck. Um, then you're increasing the odds of the ball dropping in the cup. Um, and that's what ends up happening is instead of people, I mean, that, that's why I've had my whole time. Like all of them have been like, now I know what downhill downwind is going. I know how far my clubs go. I know what it is based on the elements, based on the temperature and everything, uh, what the distance to the flag is. And I'm just increasing my odds of getting a hole in one. And I think that's one of my... Why. I think it's one of my sorry, favorite features. Yes, sorry, sorry, Sal. I think it's one of my favorite features in the Arcos system is that is that caddy because I did a video just before we actually left out here. So on the 18th hole at the Asprey, it's an elevated par three. It was downhill, obviously, so it was downwind as well, and it obviously it's given me a very different number on my club selection when I'm hitting that shot. And then yeah. I think when you start understanding how wind actually really does affect the golf ball as well, you really do start to get a, a good image of, 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 of picking the right club. So yeah, I think it's definitely one of my favorite features. But it's a numbers game as well, isn't it? Like you said there, Sal, it's if you're yeah. something that we say all the time, look, if we take somebody out on the golf course, we will get them to play better for the simple fact. All we do is we get them to think, we will ask them a question to get them to try and think. So we, so we're opening their mind up to see how they can think on their own. And mm -hmm. so it might be right. Okay. This is downhill. What's the downhill going to do? It's into the breeze. How, how much do you think that's going to affect it? So we'll ask these questions. But unfortunately, we can't be with every one of our students. Mm -hmm. But I suppose this is where this is where the caddy comes in because basically it, it's stopped. And this is the challenge, I think, between amongst golfers. It's hard to think of all these things. Like if, if you get to a, a yeah. golfer on a weekend, it's like, okay, I've got to think about elevation, wind. I've got to think about my average shot. There's so many different things to, to think Absolutely. about. So it's like the caddies, like it takes care of the thinking for you mm. and just helps you understand Absolutely. and you go, haven't got to think about that. That's my average. Yeah. This is the elevation. Okay, perfect. That's 100% right. And in fact, when you think about it, I mean, most golfers don't have access to a human caddy. Like PGA Tour players have access to amazing human caddies who are actually doing all this work. PGA Tour players have access to um, like all the uh, researchers and engineers and scientists at TaylorMade and all these other companies where they're figuring out what is the impact of wind, what's the impact of downhill. And they actually have all of this information in like sometimes printouts that are attached to their bags. Um, and because they can't have electronics, PGA Tour players can, but they have perfect information, but they're not doing, generally they're not doing the math. It's the caddy that's doing the math, like telling them what it plays like. And, Essentially, that's what we're, that's the same service, like a PGA Tour caddy kind of service that we're providing every, everyday golfers. Um, and in some cases, maybe, maybe even more advanced because we were plugged into all the weather APIs. 
uh, which feature tour carry can't plug into APIs. They're humans. So, <laughs> yeah, but. I think I've, I've definitely I've definitely thought of the next feature and upgrade that you do. You need something that says wrong club as they pull the club out. When they pull a nine nine nine, it should really be a seven nine. You need to be able to tell them. It needs like a, a buzzer on yeah, like yeah, Brit yeah. like Britain's Got Talent buzzer. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, you're 100%. I joke about that. Like the sensor should chalk them. Like yes, wrong club. <laughs> I love it. That'll be good. That'll be good. It needs to happen. I think there's, there's, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot about as well is, oh, I like, I'm, I, I need to concentrate more. I need to focus and concentrate more. And you know, from you hear a lot about cognitive, cognitive bandwidth and how much time you've got to actually, how men, the mental capacity to concentrate on the golf course. You've only got a certain amount that you can do, and maybe this is one of the reasons that it's quite hard. And quite one of the reasons that it's quite easy to make poor decisions because it's hard to think. It's hard. We've only got a certain amount, and I think that's the beauty of having something yeah. like this yeah. that takes that, you know, that bandwidth off you, so you're not mentally fatigued as well. So you can switch Absolutely. on, be focused. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the times, you want to be in like that automatic state, the theta brainwave state, right? And where, um, I mean, it's like there's a lot of research done on brainwaves. Actually, one of one of the guys at Arcos, Lou Stagner, I think you, you might know him. Uh, he's, he's got a big Twitter following. He, he gave me this awesome presentation on um, like the impact of brainwaves on performance and how um, breathing, like you really don't want to be like overthinking while you're golfing. Um, because then like even like when you think about like the golf swing, it's actually your brain sending all these messages through your uh, nervous system really to through the nerves to like tell this finger that like whatever what to do like the entire body that swing is generated from the brain and if your brain's also doing other stuff at the same time those messages like then it's almost like a highway with more traffic and then, and then some messages get at different times to different parts of the body that's when your swing gets out of sync so we want to minimize um and that's what like i would say like arcos does like it's taken it's offloading certain aspects of decision making from your brain so you're like okay this is what i gotta do let me go execute it in like state of calmness uh similar to how uh, i would say the best caddies on the feature tour yeah so it's amazing how many shots people could save just by just by decision making the, the amount of time we're out there and we go god we could save this golfer five shots around easily yeah. you're easily yeah. just That's just by thinking, yeah. here's the club this is the club you need to hit yeah. <laughs> Um, club, this is where you need to aim. Don't go even aiming near that flag. Aim yeah. to the left of the flag. You know, just some simple adjustments. And I think the great thing about that is it doesn't really take work. It's not like they, they need to ingrain a new motor pattern in terms of the swing mechanics. They just need to have information. It's, yeah. it's like straight away. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing. Like, you're 100% right. Your average user, I, and then... Uh, improves in their first season by like 5.3 shots or something. And we don't like, we're not instructors. Like we actually identify like areas to improve, but a lot of times people will take lessons. A lot of times they don't have the time or the money or the ability to take lessons. Um, and, but even then you're seeing this improvement because the decision-making is just better. And golf is like, there's execution and there's decisions. So you decide and you execute. Like people tend to ignore the decision piece they focus on the execution piece a whole lot more because it's also, I think it's like, it feels 
like you should do that right every time. You know, like you hit a bad shot, like golfers' expectation we talked about is like you. Like, but golfers don't think about did I make the right decision or not like that. Like nobody assesses that, and that's one place where Arthos can really help. They would, I think, most golfers would automatically go. It was a bad swing. I've hit it in the bunker yeah. short. It was a bad swing. Yeah. Why do I need to change yeah. my technique instead? Well, of it might have been their average swing, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It just literally could have been a, a, a an aim an aim decision or a club decision, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's something so simple. It's one thing that's um, that, that's definitely worth talking about because there will be people listening to this who've never taken stats, they've never really sort of entertained um, mm-hmm. having something like Arcos. So it's. Mm-hmm. For someone who's listening to this, and I think, and I think the, the biggest reason that they may look at this is just the time point of view, but even from a pace of play point of view on the golf course, the good thing mm-hmm. I like about this is it, do, it doesn't take a lot of time. It literally is look at the phone and do that. But do you, is that something you're consciously looking at and reducing the time it takes to obviously consume this data on the course? Yeah, so I think we look at our product as we never want to slow down pace of play. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, we've designed the app in a way, you only interact with it when you, as a golfer, feel like you want to. Yeah. Uh, meaning, if you want to access, just like you would like do a laser range finder, like, uh, it's going to take no longer than that to get distance on the GPS app. With, and then it's immediate, like the wind adjustment and elevation adjustment and everything else. Um, in terms of, um, so we do a lot of testing in terms of whenever we launch a feature, how are people interacting with it? And is it impacting basically? Our belief is we're actually speed up basically because we look at like we do analysis around okay um how long is the average pace of play um even over like say from round one to round 10 to round 15 of a user and they get faster part of it is they're getting a little bit better they're getting quicker with the decision making um but i think when you look at pace of play things there are certainly like people take a lot of time to like people will take a lot of time deciding like what club to hit and things like that. A lot of times they will make a wrong decision, um, but they are spending time on that. They're spending time on finding their golf ball, yeah. uh, which by the way, like it's a, a, like unintended consequence. I'm like partially blind in one eye, so I can't follow my golf ball past like a hundred yards. And I found like, once I realized how far my clubs go, when you, then you make impact, you kind of know like, okay, this shot, this drive went maybe 225 because I didn't catch it that good. And then the app helps me find the golf ball because I'm like, okay, now I'm 225 yards from my previous shot. So we look, we take pace of play very, very seriously. We, there is like uh, no impact, no negative impact of pace of play. What we do encourage you is like from a data consumption standpoint, it really should be post round in terms of like where you lost strokes, what happened that day um, is like once you get finished with your round, then you go back. Maybe maybe once you're emotionally disconnected from the round, it's probably like the best time to review <laughs> like what happened. Because yeah. <laughs> otherwise, yeah. like a lot, most of the times, and, and this is, I, I think part of it is also expectation management with the handicapping system. So let's say you're 10 handicap. That's actually a representation of like your best 40% of your average of your best 40% round. So by the USGA and the world golf uh, formula, the world golf handicapping formula, 60% of the rounds are not included. Your bottom 60% are not included in the handicap. And when you look at the top 40%, take an average of that, meaning like maybe like only 20% of the time approximately, you're going to score better than your handicap. So 80% of the time, you're going to score worse than your handicap. So the golfers end up feeling like the expectation is said that this is my handicap. So 
I shouldn't be playing better than this. In reality, when you shoot your handicap, you're like a top 20% score that you've shot in recent memory. So, so people end up being more frustrated than I think they should be um, <laughs> because of the way handicapping system set up. So I think that's why it's actually better. Like when you do data analysis on your game, which the app is going to really list out here was what was good. Here was what was bad. We break everything down. It's probably better to consume it a few hours after you've like cooled off from the round, unless you had. An I awesome know a few people who need to go. I know a few people who need to go to the next day. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you know what? It's interesting though. So we had a we had a podcast last week with a performance coach, uh, Jamie Edwards, and one of the things that he said was that which was really sort of um, really stood out to us. So golfers make it really easy to feel bad on the golf course, and it, and they make it very hard to feel good. So, you know, even just even just the, the handicap system and understanding that, you know, we make it we make it very hard to feel good and we make it so easy to feel bad about ourselves, whether it's yeah. handicap and, you know, even yeah. just by understanding expectations and knowing yeah. where we are with our game. There's a good chance that we're actually going to feel a lot better if we understand what we can do, manage our game better. We're giving ourselves a chance to feel good on the golf course. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. And what's interesting is that I mean, part of it is also fed by the fact that we mostly see awesome, awesome shots on TV. Like when you look at putting, like people are like PGA Tour players. I mean, it looks like they're making like 90% of their eight footers. It's just going in and in. Meanwhile, in reality, PGA Tour, like I think is like 48% make rate from eight feet. And when I play with golfers, I'm like, I pull the, put the ball to eight feet. I'm like, hey, what do you think of the odds of PGA Tour making it? PGA Tour player making it. And like they're like, oh, yeah, all the time. There's like, it's like uh, now there's the awareness is increasing. But generally, by and large, people think they make them like eight footer. When an average golfer is playing, they miss it. They can get really upset. I'm like, what, what do you think? Like more likely than not, PGA Tour misses it. PGA Tour player misses it too. But people don't realize that. No. And so that's all about like expectation management. If you make an eight footer, that's a great outcome for like any handicap level player. Um, and then the other thing I think, one thing we try to, I mean, we're working on is you want to reframe, like when you're done with a round of golf, you hit, you, you've hit a bunch of bad shots, you've hit a bunch of good shots. And uh, people focus, I think they focus on their, they remember their bad shots, just the way brains wired too. But also partly, I think, uh, because 80% times you're shooting above your handicap. So I think people are thinking, oh, I didn't play well. Why didn't I play well? What were the bad shots I hit? Um, we want to reframe it to like, here were the great shots you hit too. Like, so we were like, I think in a future release at some point, we're going to show you here were your top five shots. Here were your worst five shots, but here were your top five shots. Cause you like every round, there's like some incredible stuff that's happening. And then golfers tend to forget about that. And, um, I don't think that's a good thing to forget about your best moments too. We've got, we've got members in our Facebook group, our private members group, and they, and, and we have members who are doing that. And there's one guy in particular, Tim Beeb, who's uh, totally transformed his game by literally doing his best three shots. Every time he, every time he plays his best three shots, go in a diary and he just loves it. And he puts it's it awesome. in the group as well. It's just brilliant. It, it, it is interesting as well. When somebody comes for a lesson with us, Usually they've got a lot of things going on in their bra- in their brain about their swing and their thoughts, and they're probably ready for us to take them apart. They're probably going, oh, what are they going to say? They're going to tell me everything that's bad and wrong with my game. And one of the things that we'll always do is like, we're going to tell you what you're doing really well, so you yeah. can forget about the things that you don't need to think about. So people are thinking about stuff that they don't need to think about. So we're going to we're going to give you that confidence to go. Actually, your backswing pivot motion is great, or your club face is fantastic in the backswing. You don't need to worry about that. 
So I think it is a great yeah. point for golfers yeah. listening to this is to understand what they are doing well as well and just mm. give them some credit because we are pretty we're pretty harsh on ourselves, yeah. aren't we? <laughs> we're pretty yeah. sure, we're pretty harsh. You don't have to be so frustrated with our games all the time. Like, <laughs> they, like uh, we celebrate our best shots. Absolutely. Exactly. The, more, the cool thing with Arcos is we can actually quantify exactly how good your best shots were and exactly which ones were your best shots, which I found actually really enlightening. Um, similarly, knowing what were your bad shots, like, is I think really helpful for an instructor. Um, like, here's the five shots that cost like four strokes this round. Um, yeah. Let's see what happened there. There's generally patterns. Yeah, we need that feedback, don't we, to get better as well, which is, which is just. You know, equal is important. Um, what one thing do you think? Um, I suppose this is more on par threes, fours, and fives. But what one thing do you think golfers could do when to, could do differently approaching these holes? Maybe, maybe give an example on maybe uh, a par three. I'll give an, I'll, yeah, I'll give an example of par three that I've uh, seen in the inner data, um, which is. And this doesn't apply to every golfer. Like <clears throat> some golfers are much worse in their approach game from same distances when it's from a par three tee versus from a fairway. And they're essentially very similar shots. Like it's, tee boxes are basically more generally the same height as a fairway. Um, and so we start looking at like why that is. And it turns out um, one of the main driving factors for it was uh, at least in the data set of like the handicap skill level that we're looking at. Um, was golfers, like a lot of times you'll see they're teeing the ball up really high on par three, like so it's like, it's like this far above the ground, yeah. but they're swinging like the balls in the fairway. So you catch the top of the club face. So, yeah. uh, so you're losing control. So that was one pattern we found, which was, you know, par three. If you're, if you're good out of the fairway and that's where you're stronger, maybe treat the par three tee shots as a fairway shot. Uh, really tee it down like you would. and But that, that applies to golfers who are good out of the fairway. Um, uh, and that, that, there was a pretty substantial number where this was happening. So that was that was interesting on par threes. Um, we have, sorry, sorry, Sal, on this. We have one guy who we played a lot of <laughs> golf with. He's a good golfer. He was Chris at two. Three two, handicap. two handicap, yeah. And and every time he tees his ball up on a par three, I laugh at him and Joe. So we're in driver. <laughs> I'm like, really? there's no way you never losing. 10, yeah. 10 mile per hour ball speed by doing that. And he's wondering why he's coming up short or it's, it just doesn't really, it goes for the flat and doesn't really carry. And, oh, yeah. it was a bad shot. Yeah. It was yeah, a bad yeah, shot. Yeah. <laughs> but even then he might go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, the you don't practice that shot, right? yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, and then Sorry, I don't know, like, I think on par fours, my thing would be on short par fours, if there's trouble around, uh, like out of bounds right or things like that, um, and you're you have lesser dispersion like a five iron or even like something like that. It's a under three hundred yard par four. That's something to consider um, because like the strokes you gain. Let's say you hit a drive straight down the middle of the fairway and you now have like fifty yards in on a three hundred and ten yard hole versus you hit a five iron a hundred and I don't know, 70 yards and you have like 140 yards. Like the strokes you gain on that drive, that difference with the driver versus five iron might not be enough to offset if it's like out of bounds to the right and you have a tendency to miss right. Um, and so like, I, I think if, if it's a 340 yard par four, 
even the PGA Tour average, like, like strokes to get down. I mean, I, I think it's a neutral shot where you don't lose any strokes on tour if you hit it like 210 yards. So, so it's okay to sometimes, if there's trouble, like on shorter par fours, it's okay to step back would be one thing. Like, because the penalty, a two-stroke penalty or one-stroke penalty, that's huge. That impacts your score a lot more than people realize the penalties. Yeah. And aiming away from the penalties, like being in the left rough, it's, if it's out of bounds to the right, it isn't the end of the world. Um, so that's something on, like, especially shorter par fours. And then par fives, I mean, obviously, like, if there is no trouble, you want to be as close as possible to the green. You want to be as, as aggressive. But if there's water in front, I mean, like, it really depends. So, like, on such a situational level, um, like, there's no blanket advice, like, except, like, all else equal, meaning if there's, uh, it's the same hole you're playing, there's no trouble and everything else, you're always going to be better off closer to the hole than not. I think uh, the strategic layups probably are more of a factor when there's actual trouble that you're trying to avoid. Otherwise, you want to get as close to the hole as possible because your average score over time is actually going to be better the closer you get to the hole uh, with your approach shot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Good advice. Yeah, I like I love that. I mean, you know, the, the par three thing mm-hmm. we see all the time. It's a common thing that we see. Golfers are playing off the fairways and then they get to a par three and wonder why they're not as good. And it's it's just it's simple stuff, really. But without any work, <laughs> they don't have to go and work yeah. at that. It's just like to eat lower and just play it like a fairway yeah. shot. Absolutely. So, so just a, and this is again, it's quite a general question, but there's definitely a couple of directions we could go in this as well. But just on a whole, what are the big mistakes that you're perhaps seeing from 100 yards and in with the golfers that you're seeing? So, where are the areas where there's the, obviously yeah. the big improvements? Yeah, well, go with that. Like that one more time. Yeah, I think like the biggest thing to me would be um, when the pin is tucked, chasing the pin. Like, because when you short side, we have data, like I think Lou Stagner might already publish on Twitter, but he'll share at some point, might even be sharing in a golf channel, um, is short-sighted misses are so much more penal um, than not, than missing on the other side. And so when you take on a pin that's stuck to the right, like or dispersion, there's like a natural dispersion everybody has, even poor players have. The higher your index, the wider your uh, dispersion pattern, like in terms of missing right or left. And when you take on a tuck pin, unless it's like, I mean, you have to take into account, like, okay, if it's the last hole and you're one down and mm-hmm. the guy's already put it to two feet and you're playing a match and now you got to go for it, that's different. Um, but when you're playing um, outside of those exceptional situations, you really want to aim away. You don't want to aim towards tuck pins because if you end up in the right trap and now you have like five yards, seven yards of green to work with, um, bogey is like bogey or worse is almost a certain um it'll take miracle for most people to get it up and down on short-sighted stuff um so that's one thing like it, you do not need to go for tuck pins it's probably really an important piece of wisdom that has been passed to me by other data scientists and uh, people who've analyzed data our data shows the same thing um, because short-sighted misses are more penal they're like 25 percent or so more penal than missing on the long side. And even and even to that point as well, you know, if you've got a 40-yard pitch, 
you know, or a 50-yard pitch, a lot of golfers will go, well, I've got to go for the flag because I'm 40 or 50 yards away. Why would I not go for the flag? But even that instance there, it's, it's, exactly. it's that's probably yeah. the hardest instance anyway because it's not the, yeah. not then, the high flight and the stop. Yeah, and then I think, like, I don't have exact numbers on this, but I do know, like, the strokes to get down average with, like, higher lofted clubs. A lot of times golfers might be hitting a 60 degree from the fairway. They're, they're not not great outcomes. So when you go with a super high loft, it gets harder mm-hmm. uh, to, for most golfers to get it closer to the hole. Um, and so I think we're publishing some stuff on um, proximity to the hole and lofts. So you really don't want to have super high loft because it like lower the loft, the, uh, I would say the worse outcomes get better. Mm-hmm. So your misses get better with lower lofts because like a little more margin for error. With higher loft, a lot more blading is in play. We actually want to do like a little study of like, okay, percentage time, say from the fairway, you blade it over the green with each loft, like from say 50 degree all the way to 64. Some people carry 62, 64 degrees, but they're like, but, but if you're like not a tour player, I mean, it's, or like super high skill golfer, I mean, those are not easy clubs to hit. And we see like bad outcomes with that too. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Great so, information. Some great stuff. We've really got a good. um we've got a quick fire. We always finish with here, Sal. So we're gonna run you through these. That sometimes they are quick, sometimes they're not, but we'll go we'll go through it. Um what's the best piece of advice that you've had in golf? Um <clears throat> best piece of advice was I have to think about this one. I think, I mean. I would say like that was specific to my game and it's specific to a golf course, which is Oakmont. And I was trying to, Oakmont's very hard to figure out. It's like a USO, but it's like one of the truest tests of golf, but tests every single shot, every single day, every single time, every single aspect of your game. And I asked Bob Ford, who was who longtime head pro at Oakmont and Seminole, who's won the Bob Jones Award, he's like a legendary figure in golf. And I was like, Bob, well, how do you like how do you unlock this golf course? Like, how do you play well here? And he was like, when you step up, you have to be committed and you have to just hit a great shot every single time. And that went back to like, so I was like, wow, I mean, how do you do that? And <laughs> by the way, I don't I know I don't do that, but what his point was you have to believe it, because then it goes into the thing that you were saying. You're not thinking swing, you're not thinking this, that, you're just like, okay, here's the ball. I'm going to hit a great shot and it's going to go over there. And I think like taking maybe the, that made me think, you know, I got to take the swing mechanics and everything, all of that out of my mind when I'm actually playing golf. Like that can be there on the range, but when I'm hitting shots, I should just be thinking about, I'm going to move this ball from point A to point B, um, which helped me play a whole lot better um, because I, now, when I look at my Arcos data, I'm like, obviously, my, all my practice and everything is determined by, like, where am I losing strokes? But when I'm on the golf course, I'm not thinking about golf swing. I'm thinking about golf scoring and moving the ball. And uh, I, I'd say that's probably been the most helpful thing for me, is not overthinking while I'm playing. Love it. You know, which actually, like, Arcos caddy helps do it. Like, you know, here's the number. Here's what it is actually. Here's what's adjusted. Go play. Go do it. Go and do it. I always remember Bernd, Wies, Bernd Wiesberger when, when we had him on the podcast. He he would just say J F H I. That was his thought. 
on the golf course. We'll let you. We'll it let is. you figure that one out. Just, <laughs> just flipping hit it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what? Yeah, just hit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the polite version. Um, what's the worst advice that you hear? I I think most people kind of somehow end up saying like, oh, if I just work on my putting, I'll be better. But that's not really necessarily true for everybody. Um, everybody assumes that they can, uh, they're bad putters because everybody has three putts. Even on tour, like 18% of the time from 50 feet now, PG Tour players, three putt. So, so a lot of golfers just say like, you know, I, like their, their assumptions are they should never three putt from 50 feet now. It's not true. So I think like, and, and people don't realize that other, like, most people say, like, just work on putting, you'll be fine. But I, I don't think that's reality. Um, and I think anybody who kind of just goes, jumps to that might not be making the best use of their time because there might be other, I would say there's a much higher likelihood than not that there are other parts of the game where they're losing strokes that can be improved a lot faster. Yeah. Just points back to just really understanding what yeah. you do, isn't it, again? Um, what would you change about golf? I would, well, I mean, this is, a, uh, I, this is a tricky question, but I do believe, like, you know, um, I don't know about golf, but it's certainly about tournament golf. Um, like, long-term, my prediction, this is my prediction, maybe this might be 30 years away, is golf tournaments will be maybe like nine-hole Saturday and nine-hole Sunday. Um, so you have like an 18-hole tournament. It'll legitimize the nine-hole round. Like, right now, time is the biggest constraint like like re, for golfers a real round of golf feels like if it's 18 holes then it's real otherwise it's not a round of golf because everything we see on tv all the majors all the tournaments are played like 18 holes and that's a five four let's say four hours of golf but then you have to half hour drive to the course half hour back five maybe half hour to get there before like five and a half hour commitment to play golf um which is a huge huge time commitment but like now like two working parents, kids, like when you look at the next generation of golfers coming in. Um, and so, and then same thing on the viewing side, like, um, like, yeah, like who's watching? I mean, most people are working Thursdays and Fridays, afternoon and noon and stuff. So to me, like long-term golf is going to evolve to nine holes on Saturday, nine holes on Sunday. And then it also is like, it'll be more absorbing, uh, like it'll be two and a half, whatever, three hours, two and a half hour round. Every shot's going to matter a whole lot more. People already say like the major, like whatever masters or U S open doesn't begin till the back nine. Um, I think that will become a reality. So if I were to change one thing, I would change tournament golf to be like that, uh, which will amplify the viewership on TV and also legitimize like, okay, if I'm playing two, like nine holes on a weekend, that's actually real golf. Because then a 37 or a 42 or a 45 right now doesn't seem like a real score because we see 72, 75, 80, 90. Um, we never see nine-hole scores. So, so I think that will legitimize it and hopefully increase um, the opportunity, not just from a capital and monetary standpoint, but also from a time standpoint for a whole lot more people. Um, and that's the thing I would change. Nice. Great. It'll be interesting to see where it goes, won't it? Definitely. Mm. <laughs> we like nine holes. It's great. Just bang in, done. You've got, you've got, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to do. Definitely. You know, I, like I'm a, I'm a total traditionalist and every which way about the game of golf, but I saw, I grew up playing cricket 
and I saw like what cricket went from five days to one day to now three hour window. And there's never been stadiums this full in cricket, but it's like that three hour match it's called T20. So I saw how that transformed the viewership, the person like uh, India and Pakistan playing the um, cricket World Cup final for that three hours. And there's like a billion people watching it. And before that, they would play. And you, even though they're two huge cricket followings, you wouldn't get that many people watching it. Like they play a test match, which is five days. Stadiums are empty. You get the three hour thing. You cannot like it sold the years out. So so it's like I think golf has I think golf will eventually get there and has that opportunity. Brilliant. Okay, a couple more questions. Um, what's the best thing about golf? I think best thing about golf, there's so many, but I, I'll say two for me are the best. One is you can play with anybody else. The ability to have a match, like I played college tennis, and with tennis you have to find somebody your skill level or better to get better. In golf, um, that challenge is you versus your score, the course, the conditions, and you can certainly bring in and compete with anybody at any skill level with the handicapping system or no. Like, uh, I, I think that's awesome. Um, and then I think the other thing is it's a sport for a lifetime. So you can keep getting better at it for so much longer than any other sport out there. And it's like, uh, and the getting better part is not just physical. It's like the mental aspects to it, the emotional aspects to it, decision-making, the understanding, like who, what are your abilities? When are you going beyond them? When you're not, I think that's like really, really fascinating, um, which compared to like, like I'll compare tennis and cricket over there. I think the physical abilities are the most important. Um, the decision-making comes like, I mean, it's so quick snap judgment that yeah. it's more instinct um, versus in golf. It's like very deliberate like whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, so I find that fascinating that you can, like it's a sport for a lifetime and with anybody. And I, I don't think it, it can get better than that as a result. Totally agree. Definitely. Okay. And the final question, what are, this is always an interesting one. We get some good answers in these. Um, what are three golf truths? Three golf truths. Yeah. So what's true about golf? Uh, I think one thing that's definitely true is when you play a round of golf with somebody, whether it's nine holes or 18 holes, like, I think you kind of get to know the person better than like <laughs> an interview. So actually most of, a lot of times when we're hiring people, especially like people that I'm going to be working with, I actually take them for a round of golf because um, then they'll get to know me. I'll get to know them and we'll get to know they're going to be able to work together or not. Um, I think it's a great, so one is like, I think it's like a, great way to figure people out um i think the second is it's probably it's also it it's a reflection of like who you are so like if you i would say it keeps you it helps you understand yourself like are you like it exposes like your flaws like if you are the person who gets frustrated really easily you're going to get really frustrated golf and it'll just be yourself to blame and now is an opportunity to understand yourself better and maybe get better. Because um, it is such a personal, there is nobody pitching at you. There's nothing happening. It's just you moving the ball. So I think it's, uh, it gives you a true assessment of yourself if you're honest about it. Um, that would be two. And then three 
is, I have to think about this one. I think, if not repeating what I said, but I do think like it's probably the only thing, I mean, the, when you think about it, like it's, it's an association for a lifetime. It's the thing that you, the, there's a challenge of a lifetime. It, it, you'll never solve it. You'll never figure it out. Like there's always things that are changing. In fact, like we see this in your data, like there is no, nothing static in your golf game. Like uh, driving might be getting better and then it might start getting worse. And by the way, with data, you can actually pinpoint when it's starting to get worse and solve it sooner. But there's nothing static about your game of golf, similar to there's nothing static about your life. You're getting older every second. There's different life events happening. There's certain distractions in your life happening. Maybe you've had a um, kid and now you're focused on that. Maybe your parents are getting older for like maybe work is going really well or not. So all those things are affecting who you are and as well affecting how you golf. And so there is no like, there's no one answer to where, what your game strengths and weaknesses are. They're actually different at different points of your life, different points of time, different points of the season. And that's kind of the cool puzzle about it is it's always changing and you're figuring it out. So that would be my third thing. Love it. Some good ones there. Three great ones. It's, uh, ones. it's always interesting to hear what people say. We've got a mixture of, we should go back and collect them all mm-hmm. up this, but it's, it is very interesting. Uh, look, Sal, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating to, you know, for the listeners to this. Hopefully they've, they're going to think a little differently about some of the decisions that they're making, really. I think it's something that obviously we're very excited to be partnered up with you um, just because we know how, we know how impactful these, this can be for, for golfers and um, you know, what you, you, what you guys do is, is fantastic as well. If the, if the listeners um, are interested in Arcos and want to know a little bit more, where can they go? Yeah. So I think the link is going to be at the bottom of the screen. Um, we have a special offer for your listeners, which is a 45 day free trial and they get like a free um, set of sensors. Uh, that's a very easy install. They just twist into the grip end of each club. It's a one-time pairing process. And then they get 45 days to decide whether this data is helping them or not. Uh, so it's basically for free. Um, and awesome. we, we're excited about that. So thank, thank you for your support and everything you guys do. We learn a lot from you. Um, and love the feedback you actually give us in terms of helping continue to improve the products. I really appreciate that too. I appreciate that. And, and it, it, one thing we always say that we've got some great ambassador deals that we work with and uh, partners. And one thing that's really important is the people who are in it. So obviously we know the product is great, but it's the people as well. And obviously dealing with yourself and Tom and the rest of the team, it has been a, a real pleasure from our part. And obviously we look to continue this relationship moving forward and just helping as many Thank golfers you. as possible and um, just making them think. Thank you so much. And like, I know our team has loved working with you. I love everything you guys are doing. I appreciate what you're doing to make golf easier, grow the game. Um, it's so important for the future of this game. So thank just you. The common passion we have. So fantastic. Thanks, Sal. Appreciate your time. Awesome. Pierce, that was good. Just I look, that podcast there is probably one of the most important podcasts Mm. I think that golfers can listen to if they want to actually, we talked about this earlier, if they actually really want to improve their score, golfers play golf for different reasons, but if golfers really want to improve their score, yes, technique is very important, but I I really do believe the fastest way is in the Mm decision-making just by changing their approach to thinking about it. 
and it, it is interesting that the only one thing we spoke about from a technique point of view there really was, and whether you can argue whether this is technique <laughs> or choice, is the T height on a par three. And um, it's it's so interesting that if you just listen to what Sal was saying there in the conversations we had, the amount of times we were putting it back to the golfer to just actually go, well, actually, what am I, who am I as a golfer? What makes me tick as a golfer? What's the parts of my game that I need to work at? And really understanding why you play sorry what makes you the golfer you are today and i think i've said this a lot of the time when people say what's the difference between a tour pro and an average golfer and i will often say that the tour pro knows what they can and can't do yeah and i just believe that the average golfer does knows what they can do when they're at their best but yes. perhaps doesn't know how to and what the, what their average is and actually how they should allow for that on the golf course yeah the true reality of where reality. Of where that game is and i think that's just something and look we're probably off still a little bit on that you know, I think that's mm. still something that we we need to continue in, to improve on. But I think something like something like the Arcos system, you know, we've used it. It's, it's obviously a great tool to just. It, there's no hiding. <laughs> there's no hiding behind your yardages. You go, okay, wow, that's my average of my seven yeah. nine, or wow, that's that's this is the area of the game that I need to work on. So then it just directs you in the right way. It's about embracing that. Is it really is about embracing that? I always remember calling cool, quick story. So Christy O'Connor, senior, obviously a great player in his own right was playing in a pro-am or a, a, maybe a, a money match with a, another amateur. And the amateur hit a 9-9 and Christy O'Connor hit an 8-9. And he was telling us other golfers, I hit 9-9, hit an 8-9. And before you know it, Christy's like, stop there, guys, and drops a load of golf balls on the tee and then gets the 9-9, hits on the green. Then it's a 7-9 onto the green, hits a 6-9 onto the green, hits a 5-9 onto the green. And it's just like, you know, he obviously understands his game, what he can do, and there's a reason why he picked that 8-9. But I think a lot of golfers are going, nope, it's a nine iron because that's I know that I can hit that nine iron 150 yards. Yeah, so yeah. Really do think about that. And if that's the only thing that you do, we were just saying before we started this bit, if the only thing that you actually do when you go and play golf next is actually just hit one more iron into the green. Or, or even there's another way of thinking about that as well. You can maybe club up or you choose a place which is past the flag. Mm -hmm. So yeah. choose a different yardage. So if, if the flag's at 151, well, maybe go... I tell you what, my, my yardage today is going to be 159. Mm -hmm. So then you go, okay, well, what club would it be to hit the 159 one? So just think about it a little differently and, and don't just go flag hunting. Strat, stra strategically think your way around the golf course in a better way. It's going to make a big difference. And if you start knocking your balls out of bounds, going through the back of the green, just build Andy Proudman. There you go. Put <laughs> it on me. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you next week.